All right. Well, today we're going through John, and we're talking about the people that Jesus encountered, the people Jesus talked to, and what he did with them, and what he said to them. Last week we talked about the disciples, and this week we're going to talk about the anti disciples, <laughs> the Pharisees. And it's one thing, you know, um, you know, I'm reading about the Pharisees and I'm studying them and I'm reading historical backgrounds and, and it's one thing to say I'm a Pharisee, to like recognize, gosh, the way these guys acted and the things they did, I do, I do these same bad things. And there's a way to say I'm a Pharisee and to just write it off. You know, we're all Pharisees. We all struggle. But then there's another level where it cuts you to the heart. <laughs> and I was at McDonald's. I've been going to McDonald's on Sunday mornings to finish up my sermon. And I realize how much I sit there and I judge everybody that comes in. And, and then I'm like, gosh, I am just really judging people left and right. I need to chill. And so then I start to be kind and talk and interact and befriend. And I go out and get in my car and I realize I need gas. So I pull up to the little gas, it's a McDonald's gas station combo thing. Pull up to the gas station and I'm getting gas and I hear this lady, sir, excuse me, excuse me. First thought in my mind, <laughs> some lady's going to ask me to buy her gas. So I kind of ignore her for a minute. Excuse me. And I can tell she's coming from the other side of the gas station. Or the other side of the gas thing, right? There's a big old U-Haul. Like, oh boy. And I'm already playing the story in my head, right? We're trying to drive across country. We got to pay. And I'm, I'm doing the whole thing. And I look around. And, and, and man, she's kind of rough. And I just start judging her even worse. She says, do you know, do I just put regular gas in this thing? Or do I need to put something special in here? She's a completely normal person. And I had so much, I mean, I had my Pharisee muscles flexed, man. I was already like, what am I going to tell her that I'm not going to give her? How do I tell her I'm not going to give her any money? She said, I don't know. I don't know if this takes regular gas or not. And all of a sudden I realized I was being the Pharisee. And I don't want to follow the Pharisees. I want to follow Jesus, right? And I said, oh, that is a super important question. You, you are doing great. It takes regular gas. She's like, oh, okay, good. Yeah, I knew I might bust something if I put the wrong gas in it. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Yeah, you won't make it out of the parking lot if you put diesel in the, uh, Yeah. And I just told her that. And she's like, all right, thanks. And she's going about her business. And I got in the car, and the full weight of my Pharisee powers hit me. I was like, I just spent like two and a half hours preparing a sermon on the Pharisees. I am really good at it. So I'm going to say all this stuff in the context of how easy it is for us to be the villain and how easy it is to follow Jesus. 
who is reaching out to us just like he reached out to the Pharisees. So the Pharisees come on the scene early in different Gospels. You know, the Pharisees have already been going out questioning John the Baptist. And John the Baptist yelled at some of them. He said, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Who made you so scared? You're all a bunch of snake babies, which is like little devils. You're all a bunch of little Satans. Hard words, right? Really harsh words. The Pharisees follow along. um, Different Gospels, they show up sooner than others. But we just sang a song about Nicodemus. Nicodemus shows up. John, remember, John is totally out of order. He's like a really excited six-year-old telling him about his day at the zoo. He's not going to start with the penguins and work his way down by the ostriches. He's going to be over here, over here, over there, over this. And that's how the Gospel of John is. So John chapter 3 is where Nicodemus shows up. And Nicodemus, it says, was a Pharisee. We don't, there are a couple other named Pharisees, but none of them have as big a part as Nicodemus. And Nicodemus comes and questions Jesus and asks him things and asks him things. And this is really wild, you guys. There is a Jewish holiday that Jews today celebrate, and they celebrated it back then. And you would stay up all night eating dairy products. And talking about the Bible. So what does that mean, eating dairy products? Well, you're entering into the land flowing with milk and honey. And so we want to eat stuff that's full of milk and honey. Modern day Jewish people gorge on ice cream and cheesecake. Are you serious? Like, do we all want to be Jewish now? Stay up all night, eat cheesecake and ice cream, and talk about the Bible. This is my favorite Jewish holiday. This could be why Nicodemus comes at night. There's a bunch of commentaries that say that that Nicodemus came at night to be hidden or to be in secret. There are some people that think that he came at night because if Jesus were a carpenter, that he would be working during the day. But at this point, he's not really doing the carpenter gig anymore. He's just out preaching. And there are a couple people that have the theory that it was during this holiday where it was customary to stay up all night talking about the Torah. And so naturally, Nicodemus is going to go, this is a good chance to go inspect Jesus and find out about Jesus and eat ice cream. They didn't eat ice cream and cheesecake then. They ate cheese. They had cheese. So can you, like, stay up all night eating cheese and talking about the Bible? (laughs) All right, so we got a couple crews. A couple of characters, a couple of groups to talk about in this time. There's the Pharisees. The Pharisees believed that if you could follow all the laws of Moses, if we could get everybody to follow all the laws of Moses for one day, then tomorrow morning when you wake up, you go outside, you open your window, and the Messiah has come, and it is a new age, and Rome and all the Gentiles are destroyed. And it's just us Pharisees and the Messiah, and everything's good. So every time you wake up, and there's still Romans, and you still have to pay taxes, and there's still sinners, it's because somebody didn't pull their weight. I did. 
I did, Dagnabbit. Why didn't you? Do you see how this turns into a bunch of cursing and anger at every sinner you see? Because if you are making all kinds of sacrifices and you're genuinely wanting to make those sacrifices to bring about God's kingdom and that no good neighbor of mine ruined it, right? So these guys were, they were fueled by devotion to following laws and rules, but they were also highly defined by who they hated. Um, You might have friends on Facebook like this. I don't really know what he's into, but I sure know all the stuff he hates. (laughs) I don't know what he enjoys, but I sure know what this guy doesn't like. That's, That's how the Pharisees were. So just to make sure everybody didn't break the law, you know, if this is the barrier, the Pharisees would make a whole bunch of rules that you're not even supposed to walk here. And actually, it'd be really good if you would just stay back here and keep really far away from it. So then, if I break these laws, now I have to deal with the Pharisees, and I never even get close to breaking God's law where I would have to deal with God. They had 1,500 laws just about the Sabbath. So, you know, we read the law of Moses, honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. They had the number of steps written down that you could take on a Sabbath. And if you took more than that many steps, then you would break the Sabbath. And then later they would turn that into a distance because they got tired of one, two, uh, seven, eight. Um, instead of counting your steps, they measured an area. And you can go to Brooklyn in New York and you can see a, a little line. And this line in, on the sidewalk is showing that if you live in these apartment complexes, this is the furthest you can go on the Sabbath. You can't go past that. So then what happens? It's just like the, uh, the cheap fireworks and tobacco on the state line on your way to Kentucky. Right inside that line, there are all kinds of shops and grocery stores so you can get stuff without going too far on the Sabbath. Laws on laws on laws. Rules and rules, right? So that's the Pharisees. The Pharisees believed in heaven and hell. They believed in eternal life. They believed in angels. They believed in, um, much like we do, this tricky balance of God's will, but the freedom of man, and that that was nuanced, and there were things that God wanted that you couldn't stop, but then there were other things that God would give us freedom to do that could be against God's will. They believed in that. There's another group called the Sadducees. And the Sadducees were sort of a different... So the Pharisees are sort of one denomination of Jews. The Sadducees are another denomination of Jews. They did not believe in an afterlife. They believed that once you died, you died. And, and it was over. There was nothing. They, uh, that's why well, that, that Paul would get them all into a fight. Because Paul when he was being tried by Pharisees and Sadducees at the same time, 
He says, well, you all are just mad at me because I believe in the resurrection of the dead. And of course, the Pharisees have to be for the resurrection of the dead. The Sadducees are against the resurrection of the dead. And so Paul, he's just like he threw a grenade out in the middle, and they all start fighting over the resurrection of the dead, and they're not fighting about him anymore. And they're all, and then he can just leave. The Sadducees also had more money. For some reason, for, for whatever, whatever factors happened, the Sadducees seemed to be upper class Jerusalem Jewish people. And the Pharisees were middle class, some upper class, and they were spread out all over Israel. So the Sadducees were kind of like the aristocrats that just live in New York City. And the Pharisees were more like the people still, still upper crust, still authority in their, in their society, but they're spread out all over the place. Then there's another group that's not mentioned in the Bible, but is mentioned by historians that existed right at this time, and they're called the Essenes. And the Essenes, oh, oh, so the, the Pharisees looked at the Greeks as bad. They did not want to have a Bible written in Greek. They did not want to commiserate with the Greek speakers or with Rome. The Sadducees were okay with Greek. So they're upper class. They've got more power. They're schmoozing more with the Romans. So they're okay with Greek. So they, they're speaking Greek. They're, they have Greek scriptures, Hebrew scriptures translated into Greek language. They're more likely to use that. Pharisees, not so much. Pharisees are going to stick with the Hebrew. They're going to preserve their way of life. The Essenes were no way going to commiserate with the Greeks. And so, and just that the Pharisees were doing a little bit with the Greeks was too much for the Essenes. So the Essenes pack up all their stuff and they move out into the mountains and they just separate and they go away and they kind of flee. These are the folks that made the, what we now call the Dead Sea Scrolls. And it's because of them that we have tens of thousands of copies of the scriptures in original, with that we have originals. Because the Essenes said, y'all are giving into Rome, y'all are just trying to be political, and you're giving into Rome just enough. We're going to preserve God's way of life, and we're getting out of here. And so they hauled off and they left. That might be why you don't ever hear about them in here, because they weren't, they weren't a part of this mix. All right. Another group we have to talk about is the Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin was not a denomination of Jewish people. It was a council. And it was run by the high priest. And it was kind of like the, the high priest's board of directors or the high priest's council to help be his counselors to the decisions the high priest would make. Most of the Sanhedrin was made up of Sadducees. So if most of the Sanhedrin is made up of Sadducees, then the high priest's advisor is all the rich guys that don't believe in eternal life. Can you see why these guys would be resistant to a poor carpenter rabbi from Galilee. 
Because he's preaching eternal life and he's preaching good news to the poor. And that would make them mad. So you've got a couple cards stacked against Jesus from the Sanhedrin already. The Sanhedrin was only allowed to meet during the daytime. They weren't allowed to meet at night. There had to be at least 70 of them present to make a decision. And so later on, when Jesus gets arrested at night and taken to the high priest, the high priest calls a meeting of the Sanhedrin at night. So they made their own rule. There's nowhere, it doesn't say in the law of Moses that there is even supposed to be a Sanhedrin. So they make up their own rules to make a Sanhedrin, and then they break their own rules to have the Sanhedrin meet at night with fewer than 70 people, and they judge out Jesus' fate. They can't even follow the rules they make up for themselves. The Pharisees would, the modern-day rabbis, would quote or kind of cite their lineage of teaching back to these Pharisees. These Pharisees would go on to write what is known as the Mishnah and the Talmud, and that's all those extra laws on top of laws. But we get to see a lot of what Jesus thought about this late in Matthew and with Jesus' parables. There's this whole segment where Jesus, you know, Palm Sunday happens, and the people are waving their, their palm branches, which is a sign of the Maccabean revolt, and they're like, revolt against Rome. It's the, the, the Jewish nation is going to have victory. This is the Messiah. And it's Lamb Selection Day, and they bring him in. They bring in Jesus. They don't know that he's the Lamb. And just by accident, they start to quiz him and ask him questions. And he starts to answer them with parables. This is great. Um, this is Matthew 21. 21-23, he entered the temple. The chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching. This is not the whole Sanhedrin, but this is a big chunk of the Sanhedrin and the high priest. They say, by what authority do you do these things? And who gave you this authority? It was very important to them to know where your authority came from. What college did you go to? Where did you go to seminary? Who ordained you? We want to know your lineage. We want to know your instruction. Jesus, always a genius, says, I will also ask you one question, and if you tell me the answer, I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. Deal? The baptism of John, from where did it come? Did it come from heaven, or did it come from man? When John the Baptist was out baptizing people, was, that, was his baptism from heaven, or was it from man? Listen to this. This reveals the heart of the Pharisee. They discussed it among themselves, and they said, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why don't you believe him? And if we say it's from man, we're afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. Are these guys concerned with finding the truth? They aren't. They have no regard for the truth. They're just worried about their power that they have over all the people and what the people will think about their answer. They are not opening their hearts to find what the truth... The truth is standing there asking them questions 
and they don't care. They're worried about their power. So they answer Jesus. This is the most honest thing. We do not know. <laughs> and Jesus says, well, then neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. I love that because Jesus is so good. He's not just going to say, I'm not going to tell you. He says, okay, you tell me this, and then I'll tell you what authority I have. He's not demanding or insisting on his authority. He's trying to open a door into these Pharisees' souls to have a chance for them to repent and to turn and to say, we want to know the truth. We want to follow. We want to learn and grow. We want to grow close to God. But instead, all they say is we want to keep our power. We don't want anybody mad at us. Then Jesus gives another parable in that context. So all the crowd hears that. There's got to be people in the crowd that are like, Jesus is brilliant, right? Here another parable. There's a master of a house who planted a vineyard. He puts a fence and he talks about the tenants and he puts people in charge. And then the owner goes away and he sends people to the tenants and the tenants kill everybody the owner sends. And then Jesus says, this is what y'all did to all of God's prophets. Every prophet God sends you, you kill. Then he says, therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruit. Can you imagine Jesus who won't tell anybody where he went to college. He won't tell anybody where he's trained. He's around all these experts. And he says, God's going to take all of your jobs away from you. God's going to take all of your authority away from you and give it to somebody else that's going to bear fruit with it. That's aggressive. That's offensive, right? He goes on into Matthew 22. He talks about a wedding feast and all these people were invited implying the Pharisees, and none of them came. They didn't care to come to the wedding. And he's implicating the Pharisees in all of that. Then comes the give to Caesar what is Caesar's bit. And this is so classic, and this is just so perfect, because no Pharisee would ever touch a coin that had an engraved image of Caesar on it. Because that's an idol. So they would exchange money. There would be money exchangers right there in the temple. And you would bring in your Caesar money. And you would trade it in for temple money. Because so, you could only pay the temple tax with your temple money. And of course the only people that are making money here are the money changers. Right? Because they can charge however much they want. And they say... They get a couple Romans around. They get a couple Sadducees around. And they ask Jesus, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Jesus says, give me one of those coins. Let me see it. <laughs> no, the right answer was, should have been, well, none of us have that, Jesus, because we don't believe in idolatry. It's in the Ten Commandments. Don't have any other gods. Don't have any other engraved uh, spectacles, you know, imprints. And somebody hands Jesus a coin that has Caesar's face on it. Whoever brought that up, every single one of those Jewish people should have looked at them 
and said, you're committing idolatry and that's punishable by stoning. But they didn't. This is how the Pharisees operated. This is how I operate. This is how I struggle. We invent a bunch of rules and then we can't even keep them ourselves. And we judge others for not following the rules that we made up that we can't even follow. That's the Pharisee way. So then Jesus in Matthew 23 just unloads. And he's got the floor and he's not getting interrupted anymore. And if you want to read, prayerfully read Matthew 23, it has some hard, hard stuff. Jesus said to the crowds and his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you. Respect their place because they teach what Moses taught, but not the works that they do. Don't do, don't act like them. See, oh, I should just read it. Do not observe what they tell you. Uh, observe what they tell you, not the works. They preach, they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders, but they are not willing to move them with their finger. A Pharisee would point out the problem and say that's wrong. You know, that lady shouldn't be stealing food for her kid. But they would make no effort to help that lady get a job so that she could earn money and buy food for her kid. The Pharisee's going to yell, this Super Bowl is so stupid, they're all a bunch of wicked evildoers, but not lift a finger to do good to our neighbor that's right across the street that needs our help. They do their deeds, this is Jesus talking, they do their deeds to be seen by others. They make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the places of honor and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. They love having the clergy bumper sticker. They love, oh, you guys don't do this as a joke. They love having the parking spot that says reserved for Pastor Dan, where they get to park their fancy car. They love the attention of being a Pharisee. But they will not do these deeds from their heart if nobody finds out. They love to be called rabbi. But you are not to be called rabbi. For you each have one teacher and you are all brothers. Nobody among you should be named some high and mighty role. Um, I always chuckle. I've encountered different churches where they take this really seriously and they're not going to call anybody father. They, they wouldn't call you Father Dan or Father Mike. But they say, brother. We're waiting on this sermon from Brother Dan. But they only call Brother Dan brother. And everybody else is just Levi. Just Rick. And it's like they've just taken the high and mighty title of giving honor through a word and since they can't say father and they can't say rabbi, they put a different word in there. No, not even that. Call no man your father on earth. You have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. 
Isn't this wild how Jesus takes all the hierarchies and all the authorities and he levels us all? We are all level before Jesus. We are all level before him. The greatest among you will be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. This is Jesus' warning to the Pharisees. If you put yourselves up over people to rule over them, you are going to get humbled. Being humble is great. Getting humbled is terrible. (laughs) Right? Oh. He goes on. Woe to you. Uh, He, woe that you're a blind guide and the oaths that you make. Woe to the tithes that you give that you would strain out a a gnat out of your drinking water. They would have these elaborate water filters to make sure they didn't drink anything that was unclean. And I don't mean like bacteria or amoebas, but like gnats and flies. All those would be unclean things and they have to filter all that out. And he says, you strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. Eating a camel, a camel could feed like a family of nine for a week. That's a whole lot of meat. But it's unclean and they're disgusting and nobody would want to think about eating them. And there's no way you could swallow one in one gulp, right? So he says you strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel because of your injustice, because of your criticism, because of your cheating and your power grabs. And he goes on and on. You can see Jesus has a lot of critical, critical instruction for the Pharisees. The last bit is kind of the worst in Luke 8. No, Luke 18. In Luke 15, Jesus gives these parables. And all of the parables are about these high and mighty Pharisees and these lowly folks that are struggling And it builds and it builds and it builds all the way to Matthew 18. He says, he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. That that line says it all right there. Jesus told this parable. He didn't just tell this parable to the masses. This parable was specifically for people like me who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated other people with contempt. The Pharisee way of, I, I, well, here I'll read. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and one was a tax collector. Oh, tax collectors. Oh my gosh. I'm just going to punch somebody. Tax collectors were the worst. They were just, oh, the absolute worst. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. He's praying and thanking God for how righteous he is and all the good deeds that he can do and Gosh, thank you, God, that I'm not this guy, and I'm not this guy, and I'm not this guy, and I'm not that guy. Pointing out somebody specifically. The tax collector standing far off. This is the guy that's waiting in his car during church because he's afraid if he walks in, the whole building will collapse on him, right? 
he would not even lift his eyes up to heaven. But he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Have mercy on me. I talked to a guy yesterday, and he was having some struggles. And he said, I don't, I, I don't want God's help with this. Because God takes you out into the wilderness. And God takes you through all kinds of trials. And I don't want any more trials. I'm going to handle this on my own. And then he says to me, I'm, I don't want to offend you. I just... If that's God's help, I don't want it. And I was like, whoa. That is some hurt, right? Whatever that guy has been shown about how God works has been a ripoff and a lie. Because I think God's been comforting him through all of his hard stuff, right? I think that guy that I talked to is a lot like this guy. Oh, be... I'm not even going to look at you, God. I don't even want to pray because I'm afraid of what you'll do because I deserve such harsh, horrible things. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, rather than the Pharisee. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The person that can brashly, because of their good works, go before God and expect God to answer, because dag nabbit, you owe me God, right? And I'm putting the fake curse words in there, because it, it is cursing. It's awful. That's where the Pharisees were. That was how they lived. God owes me. I've been trying to copy down a little bit, a few verses a day of Romans, and it's really helped me to learn the Bible and really think about it slowly. And in Romans, it talks about the law. And the only thing the law and the rules and the rules on top of rules and the rules on top of rules do is bring judgment. And Jesus reaches through all of that past all the Pharisees and he grabs us and he pulls us close to him into his grace. And so, yes, we can come boldly before God, but not because he owes us anything. We can come boldly before God because he has reached out to us through all the Pharisees, through the Sadducees, through all the rules that we make up for ourselves that we can't even think, and Jesus reaches out to us and pulls us in so we can come bold. Paul, says, Paul, who was a Pharisee, says we can now come boldly before the throne of grace, not by our works, but by his grace for us. So we're going to continue. We're going to meet some people that got to experience this grace. And... Um, And we'll start Lent. So let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that even if we make up our own rules and even if we make up our own laws, that you reach out to the Pharisees, that you reach out to us and you show us how to not judge other people and you show us not to hold our righteousness or hold our authority or any of that 
but you show us how to humble ourselves and to submit to you and to watch you work. And I pray that you would do it, Lord. In every scenario and every situation that we're in, help us to be humble and to see your work and to see your mercy working in us and in other people. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. Amen.